And thanks to the worship team, can we celebrate them again? They were just, just really... I think if uh, Jedediah would add a harmonica with the drum and the, it would be like Bob Dylan days, right? It'd be like back in the day. It'd be awesome. Well, um, I wanted to share uh, a number of months ago, we were in our Kingdom Life community. So uh, that's where uh, one of the most of our Kingdom Life communities, we begin with a spiritual practice called Daily Examine. And it's, it's where you invite the Spirit's direction and guidance and you're, you're checking in on your own heart and uh, saying, Lord, what's the consolations? If you're replaying the day or the weekend, you're saying, Lord, what's the consolations? What are the good things? Where do we see your love and grace? What's the desolations? What have been the hard things from yesterday or the weekend? What, what am I struggling with? And then uh, we share those as a Kingdom Life community. And this was a couple months ago. We, we did our daily examine, and we start to share, and everybody just starts sharing how they are struggling in a mighty way, right? They're, they're just... Uh, there's just so much going on. This this virus, it just will not go. Like we're we're done with it, right? We're ready to move on, and yet it's still there. Uh, the the racial tension, the the struggle, the the things that you have to think about. Just everybody started sharing again and again. Like half of our group literally starts crying in the midst of that sharing. In fact. Matt Youngner, he just, the uh, uh, emotional outpour was uh, almost uncomfortable and embarrassing, right? I'm being sarcastic, if you know Matt. Um, but, but literally, we're crying, and I had the Bible study ready to go, and we're going to, and I was like, no, we, we just need to pray for one another. We just need to care for one another, because it's so hard. If I do another Zoom meeting, I'm going to lose it, right? Just the struggling in that way. And I think it's appropriate to ask the question. We're, we're starting, we're, we're not past this virus by any means. We're, we're not out of the difficulty or out of 2020. What a year. And yet we're starting to open up. We're starting to uh, re-engage life, right? With the shutdowns, it's like everything stopped. All of our, our dreams and purposes and, and pursuits and drive, we just like put on hold and now we're starting to open up. And I think an appropriate question is, how do we do that well? How do we begin after we have been watching Netflix on the couch for so many weeks, right? How do we get off the couch and get moving? How do we begin to re-engage with life? And I want to talk about one thing that has really helped me, a discipline that has helped me re-engage, get fired up again. And that really is this idea, which probably many of you have heard, leadership and so forth, is this idea of revisioning, of re-asking the question, God, what, what are you doing today? God, how have you gifted me? What have you called me to do? Part of the, one of the neatest parts of the Christian faith is not only does God know you and love you and call you his own, 
but he's your creator and he's created you with a particular set of gifts, of passions, of desires, and purposes, that, that he has a plan. He's trying to not only renew and restore your life and, and bring you into fellowship with him, but he also wants to use you, that idea of, of sharing the light forward, that, that there's a place in his kingdom that he's designed for you. He's put desires in your hearts. He, he's given you a passion. Sometimes it's just that next assignment, but he gives us assignments. He gives us dreams. He gives us purposes. In the world, they're all about what are your dreams and, and what do you want to accomplish, but not in the kingdom of God. Within the kingdom of God, we say, well, what is God doing in me and what has God reserved for me to do uniquely in this world? And it can be a great benefit if we revision and re-listen and re-come to the Lord for that vision. I've been hoping that as we walked through the book of Acts, that that has been somewhat of a revisioning process, that we've been saying, oh, that was Jesus' intention for the church. That's what Jesus wants of his church. So we get to revision his church and the purposes of the church. We're going to spend one more week in the book of Acts to continue that revision process. If you've brought your own Bibles, great. Would you turn to Acts chapter 29? And in fact, it would be really fun if someone would like to read that out loud. Would you, if you, the, the first one who gets to Acts chapter 29, would you just raise your hand and just, we'll let you, we'll get you a microphone. Kevin, do you have it yet? <laughs> Anyone? Acts chapter 29. Kim, do you have it yet? Do you haven't? What, do you not have it? It's not on your online Bible. What's the translation that's new? No, I'm just playing around. There's actually no. Kurt, you have Acts 29. There, okay, go, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Acts 29, there it is. So actually, it can be argued that Acts 29 is technically the rest of the New Testament. It can be argued that Acts 29 is you. Today, you're meant to be living Acts 29. Today, he cast the vision we were living. We, we saw the church living and active, and now it's our turn. Now it's our time that, that we're living Acts 29. Now, we are going to return several times to the book of Acts, but I want to do something a little bit unorthodox this morning. I want to look backwards in order to look forwards. In fact, I want to go back 2,700 years to Isaiah. Kevin, you were in the right place. Yes, we're going to go way back to Isaiah chapter 2. The chapter really is in your Bible. Right? And we're going to go back there. And the, and the reason that I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 2 is an interesting reason is Isaiah, who was, he became a prophet about 740 uh, B.C. So that is well before Christ came in tabernacles 
on the earth, right, way back then. And Isaiah was in a time where there's a northern kingdom and a, and a southern kingdom, and he's going to come and pronounce judgment. He's going to say, people, you are doing it wrong. There's all these verses. In fact, if you look at Isaiah, the opening verses, like verse 2, hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. This is, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the children of God. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So, so much of the book of Isaiah, God is saying, you're, no, you, you're missing it. Get it right. But in the midst of the very long book of Isaiah, there are these moments, these beautiful passages of hope and vision. There's passages about the Messiah and what he would do. There's pictures of how God, what God is planning for you and I. And right away, even though it's a really long book, in the midst of chapter 2 are these words of hope. It's a picture of what God is doing and still doing in our midst and for us. Isaiah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw. It's a vision. It's a picture. In the last days. He's talking about a time in the future for the children of God the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Just imagine a stream of people coming to the mountain of God, to the temple of God. Verse 3, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. Think of this idea of peace. They will beat their swords, these weapons of war, into plowshares, agricultural tools, um, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. A beautiful picture of peace on earth. A picture that God will be so present among his people and on the earth that there will be no more swords, no more war, no more fighting. All disputes he will settle. I want you to look at verse 2 again. Go back a a slide. And there's an important time. He he gives us a little bit of a timing. He calls it the last 
days, the last days. Do you know when the last days will begin? It actually feels a lot like the last days are raging right now, right? But actually, if you remember from the opening weeks of, of uh, Acts, in chapter 2, way back then, when, when the Spirit is poured out on the church and the church begins and, and people were there in Jerusalem all around the known world and they're like, what is going on? What's happening? They're, they're seeing the work of the Spirit being poured out in the lives of the apostles, the disciples, the 120. Peter stands up and he says, listen, let me explain to you what's going on. And he quotes another prophet in Joel. And he says this, this is Acts 2, 17. He says, in the last days, one more slide, Helen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Then in verse 33, he says, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what you're seeing. What Joel said hundreds of years ago, right now, in this moment, the last days have begun. He's pouring out his spirit. So we're not just in the last days recently. 2020 was not the start of the last days. We've been there since the ministry of Christ. We've been experiencing that. So this picture of the future is unfolding right now. Here's another thing that I want you to notice about Isaiah and this passage is that it's about, it's centered on not only a timing, but also God's presence. That in the midst of this beautiful picture, it talks about the mountain of God. Did you notice this? and the temple of God. Both of those represent God's manifest presence in the midst of his people. He's saying, think of it like this. In the Garden of Eden, when he created an Adam and Eve, where was God? Anyone know that? Where was, where was God when he created Adam and Eve? Before they bit the fruit, where was he? He was actually walking in the garden. He was sharing life with them. He was, he was inviting them into the, the stewardship of all creation. They were living the life that he called them. When they bit the apple, when they rebelled, what was central? What happened? They were kicked out of the garden. That they were, they were gone from his manifest presence. The garden, the mountain, the temple represents a key aspect of God's future and vision for you and me. And that is that he will be present among his people. That central to his plans is this idea that God is living manifestly with you and I. See, many people believe this Isaiah 2 passage points to Revelation 
21, which we have that picture. It says, and then this is the end, Jerusalem comes to the earth and it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is uh, uh, what happens when God is present among his people. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This, this picture, this idea of God among his people. And he's saying, that's what I, remember Isaiah is saying, it, it, you guys are messing up, it's wrong, but you're not going to mess up God's purposes and plans. You're not going to mess up God's vision for you. And here it is. Here's a picture of what he is doing. Presence is this huge part of God's vision for you and I in a grand sense. And that that vision flows from the idea of his manifest presence. All right. Once we see that, and once we understand that, now I want to point out three aspects that I think are crucial once we understand the presence of God from Isaiah 2 and, and apply them to how it makes sense to us personally Today And this, this first aspect is this idea of a people gathered in the presence of God. This idea of, of people gathering around. We, we heard that, right, in verse 2, where there is a gathering that, that the nations, God's presence is available on earth. So what do they do? They start to stream to the mountain of God. They stream to the presence of God. Imagine, better than Disney World, right? How before COVID-19, everybody streams to Disney World. Like God's presence is more available. It's better than roller coasters, right? And, and they start streaming to the presence of God, there's a, a communal nature in this idea. Look at verse 3 again. Many people will say, come. They'll say to one another, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Verse 4 is talking about this community of place. If you want to flee war, if you want to go from all the strife and strain, go to the presence of God. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, go to the presence of God. At SCC, as we were praying about our vision and direction, we chose this phrase to live out this idea, this communal call, sacred friendships and sacred community. That this invitation is that God would draw us, that, that he, now be mindful, it's important, friends, Jesus didn't come to the earth just to save individual souls. He came to create a new community. That's what his church is about. That Jesus envisioned a different kind of community that would change the world. 
would change the earth. That, that scripture knows nothing of that individual Christian living out personally with God. That, that scripture only knows a person saved and sanctified and walking with Jesus as part of a community of faith, a sacred community. And here's the interesting things, is that, that what we see as God's desired future, we get to live today. Let me, let me say that again. What God is planning for our future, the last days have begun, it won't be fully consummated until the end, but as we get a picture of the future, he also is inviting us to live that today. Does that make sense? Because it's crucial. So this idea of, of the sacred community, this new community, what he has pictured for us of where we're going, he says now is the moment that you begin living that vision today. We saw that in the book of Acts. Again, early in the book of Acts, there were these moments where the inspired author of Luke gives us a picture of this sacred community, this new community, his church. Acts 2, 42 says this, they devoted themselves. Be mindful of what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship. Fellowship is, is the community of faith, the relationships that they had with other Christians, to the breaking of bread, that probably means communion, and to prayer. Wouldn't it be incredible if that's what it we were like as a church today in 2020 if we were devoting ourselves to those things, the word of God, to the church, our relationships with one another, to communion and to prayer. How, how beautiful would that sacred community, would those sacred friendships be? Uh, this past week, I, I got to spend a little bit of time with a young adult as a part of our, our community of faith, and as we were talking, he was looking for some mentoring, some, some uh, specifically some spiritual direction. And so we talked a little bit about his life. We talked about the, the things that his hopes, his dreams, his vision, also his struggles and his difficulties and then what we did is we just took some time and we just listened in the presence of God and we just prayed together. What other places can you get a relationship like that, right? Like watching football, right? doing stuff uh, together, right? That's all good, but, but to be a community, to have relationships that are rooted in the presence of God, that are seeking the voice of God for our lives. That, that's the picture that God has for us. And he says, you get to do that. And it may be imperfectly, maybe only in part today, but we get to live in that sacred community. How beautiful would it be if our church was living God's vision in that way today? 
Friends, maybe you're still in that melancholy place. Maybe you're still in that difficult place. I know I fall into it, right? I just get exhausted with some of these things. Maybe part of the, the revisioning process as you think of God, what have you called me to do? Who are you calling me to be? All those things you say, God, how do I live today? How do I take a step into that sacred community? How do I build another sacred friendship? How do I be devoted to the community of faith? Be mindful of that. Is, is there a step that God is inviting you to? Our kingdom life communities are always open for people to come in. But even if that means just saying, hey, I'm gonna, like that young adult did with me, and just said, hey, could we get together? Maybe there's a friend. Could we get together and share life just a little bit together? Second aspect of God's vision, would you look at the latter part of verse three? There's this little part of a verse that is so beautiful. Remember, in Isaiah... God is speaking through Isaiah and he's saying specifically to the people, he says, uh, Isaiah saying, he, the Lord himself, will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. I think that some of the most beautiful Aspects of scripture where God is saying, like the, the one true living God, the only wise God is saying, I'll teach you. I'll disciple you. I'll, I'll walk with you. I, you have a long way to go, right? And yet I will form the image of my son in you. What an incredible statement that God is making. That doesn't exclude sacred friendships. It doesn't exclude growing and learning from one another. But God is saying, I will disciple you. I'll teach you who I created you to be. Jesus is saying, I'll show you the, the life that I've, I'm calling you, that I died so that you could have. What a vision that God himself would say, I'll teach you to, to walk in my paths. It reminds me of David in Psalm 24, 4 and 5, where David cried out in prayer, show me your ways, Lord, teach me your paths. Guide me into your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in all it is in you all day long. Or Moses in Exodus 33, the, the moment uh, about his manifest presence. Some of you might know where, where uh, God is so fed up with his people. He said, all right, you can go to the promised land, but my presence will, go, will not go with you. Right? He was so upset. Some of you remember that. And what does Moses say? Time out, God. No deal. Uh-uh. And listen to, to Moses' plea. He says this, to God, he's saying directly to God, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. What a request that Moses 
makes. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your stinking people. Okay, he doesn't say stinking, but he means it. It's implied. Yes, it is. Thank you, Mike. So he's saying, but Moses in this beautiful prayer is saying, you said you know me and you love me and you're guiding me, but would you show me your ways? And you can't do it without your presence. And then to think hundreds of years after Moses makes that prayer, God says, I'm going to make this a part of the central to the vision. I'm going to disciple my people myself. I believe the impl implications is the Spirit of God personally wi within us. As, as part of that, as what we've said in our vision, another pursuit or value of sacred community and sacred friendships, we also have deep spiritual formation. We're saying we don't, we don't want to play church we don't want to remain in the shallow end of the swimming pool. If God is offering to disciple us himself, we want to wade into the deep end of the pool. Also in the book of Acts, it's interesting as, as, as Paul was on his missionary journey, he goes to Thessalonians and then he goes to Berea. And listen to the different experience, what he says. He says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. How many of us have felt a little bit more like the Thessalonians? in this COVID-19 than the Bereans, yeah? We've been a little tired, a little fatigued. How beautiful would it be if we decided to be a little bit more Berean? If we decided, and, and scriptures call it of more noble character, that's pretty awesome, right? If we decided that we would receive the message and the word with great eagerness and we would examine the scriptures, we'd see it as the revelation and we'd press in and we'd grow and we'd allow him to deepen our faith. How beautiful would that be? We have a very unique opportunity coming you heard uh, Natalie share about that, that we have this idea of kingdom ambassadors, that we're discipling in that way. Again, with our KLC, it was just our last time we gathered, we, we were able to, you know, get to scripture even though everybody, everybody wasn't crying this time, right? So we, we read this scripture 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we ask the question, do you see yourselves as Christ's ambassadors? And most of the group was like, mm, that would be awesome. What does that mean? What does that look like? How did Christ is making his appeal through us? I want to invite you to this unique opportunity to experience the Lord 
in that way. And this also relates to the final point, which is this. This idea that from God's presence, we're a people of testimony. We're a people of witness. We receive the light of Christ Jesus, and then we become the light of Christ Jesus. Did you see uh, in those verses, again, two was streaming, people were streaming, that was a form of evangelism, but then look at the second, latter part of verse three in Isaiah. The law, God's truth, God's revelation, God's light, will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God cares about all the peoples on the earth. He wants to send us that's the, the, the final verse in five. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. We not only worship and love the Lord, but we go and share the light of God with one another. Here at SCC, we've called it this, empowered witness. Empowered and thoughtful witness. We see it all through the book of Acts, do we not? We saw, in fact, central to the idea of the giving of the Spirit of God is this empowerment for witnesses. And you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Not in our own power, not in our own ideas, in our own strength, but in the presence and power of the living God. Paul said this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Right? He empowers us to do that. Let's tell that good news again in Acts. Listen to this, and this, this is from Acts 11, and it's not one of the apostles, in fact. It's not one of the, the key leaders of the early church. This was just about the regular people. It says, now those who had been scattered by persecution in connection to Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, that's all we know about them. We, they, they weren't awesomely gifted. We just, all we know is they were Christians. They were empowered with the presence and the power of the Spirit, just like you and I. It says, they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. How neat would it be if we, just ordinary Christians, were sharing the testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, we're not being persecuted like that. Well, I could pray for us to be persecuted if that would help us live this value more. Should we do that? No, but we get to share as regular, wherever we go, did you notice, when, when the church was spreading, the church was gathered and the church was scattered. And while they were scattering, they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We got to baptize Jessica a few weeks ago, but I tried to share a little bit more of the story it was also her friend Renee. And even though I think Renee is an awesome person, right? She's just a regular old Christian, right? And she worked with Jessica. And she just shared the love of Jesus with Jessica. And, and slowly over the course of months, just be, because of that, that, that love and that kindness from Renee to Jessica, 
She became a part of our community even before she believed. She was, Jessica was able to wrestle with the truths of Christ, scriptures, and then she gave her life to Christ. How beautiful would it be if as a community of faith we were simply loving people wherever we go, our workplace, our, you know, our, 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 our time out to eat, having coffee with friends and family. What, no matter if they're Christian or not, we're just sharing, we're giving testimony to this incredible message of mercy and forgiveness and love and purpose and meaning if it flowed from our mouths. How beautiful would that be? Peter said it like this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I believe the animosity of our nation is going to get worse and worse the closer we get to an election. Yes? The division of our nation is going to get worse and worse. The, the hatred and the vile is going to get worse, unfortunately. How powerful would it be if there was a voice of gentleness and respect sharing the love of Christ Jesus in the personal relationships? Boy, then we would be living the vision of God. All right, friends. I think this is a way in which we can renew our lives, that we can re recover some of that zeal and passion, that we can get out of that, that funk that so many of us have been in, that we can say, Lord, what are you doing in our midst what are you doing in our church in this community of faith? And God, what is that, that place on the wall that you have for me? What are you calling me to do? And maybe it's stepping into this, this idea of a new community, this, this presence-based community, these sacred friendships, taking a step. Maybe it's this idea of saying, God, you're offering to disciple me by your spirit? Okay, I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to go Berean. I'm going to cooperate with that. Or is it saying, boy, in this difficult time, I'm going to share your love with gentleness and respect. I think if we start to press into those things, we start to shed the, the struggle and the funk that we're in and begin to live the goodness of God today in this moment. Let's pray. Worship team, want to come forward. Would you just, what point, what phrase, what aspect of the message is the Lord using in your heart, in your soul? I can't tell you what that is. 
Would you choose one aspect of the message? Would you listen with the, the ears of your heart, Paul says? What is he saying to you? What is he inviting you to do? What is he convicting you of? What is he encouraging you and blessing you in?